that's my cross. All right. Pray with me, please. Come, Holy Spirit, come, please. And fill the hearts of your faithful. Kindle in us, wherever we are, the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit, Lord, in a mighty way to vanquish this virus, to restore people to health, and to bring us back together again. Use these words that you've given me, Lord, to speak to your people, for we long to hear your voice. Amen. Well, good morning, 9 a.m., Prince George Winyaw. The uh, readings today intrigued me in several directions, but the thing that captivated me the most was this idea about the way Martha and Mary speak to Jesus, the way they virtually say the same thing when they meet him, and the way their hearts are changed as Jesus moves through the story. What, what captivated me in the story about those two was that they do, I think, what most of us do, especially in a time like this, especially in a time of suffering, especially in a time where our country, not just our country, the whole world, is gripped in fear and nervousness. They resort, like we do at times, to past tense living. They resort to past tense living. And when they speak to Jesus, the way they speak to him is essentially in the past tense. Most of us do that in our lives, and we do it for a number of reasons. We do it sometimes because we're afraid. And so we think, well, if I could just go back to the way things were, I've gotten myself into a bad situation, or I've gotten myself in a bad spot, and if I could just go back to the way things were, or doubt. We make a decision, and it doesn't pan out like we thought it would, and so we begin to doubt, and we, we imagine what it would have been like if we never had gotten ourselves there, or maybe, like I talk about sin at times, maybe it's just the devil getting into our lives and causing us to think in past tense terms. But whatever the reason we slip into past tense terms, the worst thing we can do with God, or the worst thing we can do to Jesus, is turn him into a genie. Essentially, um, when I was in sales, one of the funny things we used to talk about was you're, as only, you're only as good as your last month's sales. Meaning, what have you done for me lately? We're all familiar with that kind of expression. And so what happens in our spiritual lives when we do this past tense living is we turn Jesus into a God who's only as good as the last thing he's done for us. But worse than that, when we worry about, and you fill in the blank, when we worry about cancer or divorce or coronavirus or even death, um, when these worrisome things begin to not only just occupy our mind temporarily, but begin to become the sole focus of our day, then they keep us from believing in God. They actually serve to help us doubt God. And here's what I found to be the most embarrassing truth about this past tense life, especially for us in this culture, because it's true for me and I imagine it's true for some of you. Even when times are good, even when times are good, I find myself thinking, well, this may not last. You know, we're experiencing plenty. The, the stock market, if you're a financial person, might be really roaring. And all you can do every time you see the stock market is think, well, any day now it's going to go down. Or your children. Your children are all in orbit. That's what I call it. You know, they're all circling. Nobody's crashing. And you think, well, any minute now I'm going to get a phone call and I'm going to need to give $300 more. But whatever it is, we don't fully believe in the good times. 
We, we tend to have this uh, place in our mind or place in our heart that just won't let us fully believe that the good that we're feeling right now is really going to last. It's really going to last. I, I wonder if many of you have felt that way at times, especially probably uh, right before the coronavirus, when lots of us were thinking, wow, this is a great time to be alive. Well, that's all tied to what I love to talk about, the difference between reaping and sowing and karma. Um, we believe in biblical principles as followers of Jesus. We believe that what God provides us that we reap uh, comes from what God has done and in what God has sown. We don't believe that the good things we do come back to us uh, and the bad things we do come back to us. Uh, we don't walk around as Christians, or we shouldn't walk around as Christians, waiting for the other shoe to drop, which is kind of the point I was trying to make. Because waiting for the other shoe to drop takes away the other shoe that actually dropped 2,000 years ago. The other shoe that for Christians should matter the most that dropped was that Jesus Christ was crucified. The, the God of the universe, the one who had created through his breath, if you heard Walter reading from Ezekiel, the, the breath, the Son of Man breathed, the, the one who was perfect, the one who was sinless, he was hoisted up on a cross and killed for our sins. That's the shoe that's dropped. That's the thing that I keep coming back to in these first few weeks with you, talking about, yes, it would be terrible if we died of coronavirus. Yes, it would be terrible if we lost someone in an automobile accident. Yes, it would be terrible if we found out we had cancer today. But more terrible than that would be to die without knowing the saving grace of Jesus Christ. An innocent man died for us, but that wasn't the end of the story. That's the direction we're moving as we get toward Holy Week. This innocent man who died for us, he rises from the dead. A dead man was brought back to life. Think about that. Think about that. He was dead three days. Now think about our story tonight. He was dead four days. He was dead four days. So the point, the trajectory I'm heading this morning is that I, I, I want God to help us. I want God to reach down as we get ready to go into Holy Week and help us with our past tense thinking. Help us with our what have you done for me lately thinking. And I believe these readings today come at us at the end of Lent for a purpose. Because as we prepare to look over the cliff of death, that's what Holy Week's going to do. It's going to move us all the way if we'll allow it. Whether we're gathered here or whether you're listening and following along at home. Each step of that week is going to take us to a cliff. Think Thelma and Louise, if you're a movie person, where they drive in that 50-something Thunderbird right off a cliff. This, that's what Holy Week's designed to do. It's designed to get us right to the edge and look over the cliff and imagine that we're going to die. That we're going to die. And Jesus breaks in during Holy Week and says, No, 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 no. The death that you're most worried about, I'm going to die for you. And he's going to die for us to break us out of our past tense lives. Because who God is, I believe, is remi we're reminded of that in today's readings. God is the God of the past. We're told time and time again in Scripture to remember the Hebrew word zakar, remember. What we do during communion is called anamnesis in the Greek. We re-remember every week. The, the Passover supper that Jesus shared with his disciples. So remembering is a big deal. But God doesn't want to leave us stuck in remembering. He wants us to remember for a purpose. He wants us to remember the past for the present. And he wants us to live in the present for the future. 
And that's exactly the posture that Jesus takes as he delayed three days to go see a friend of his. Uh, It was read beautifully tonight, or this morning, by Ryan. It was read beautifully. He delayed three days. And he says in there, like he said last week in our reading, why was that man born blind? Who sinned? And Jesus said, it has nothing to do with sin. It has everything to do with the Father being glorified. And we almost heard those same words this morning in the reading that Ryan read. Lazarus has been in that tomb so that he could glorify God. Jesus knows what's coming. When Martha and Mary both plead to him, imagine, Lord. I mean, they love him. They know him intimately. He sat in their house. He's had meals with them. He's part of their family. Lord, Lord, if you'd have been here, my brother would not have died. Past tense. If you'd have been here, my brother would not have died. If only, if, past tense. And then later in the reading we hear, look how he loved him. Past tense. As Jesus weeps, the shortest verse in the Bible. It's one of those great trivia questions. What's the shortest verse of the Bible? Jesus wept. See how he loved him. He loved him. Past tense. Past tense. And I understand at that moment, putting things in context, because that's what we always should do as good biblical scholars, is we should look at the moment in context. Lazarus, at that moment, is not just dead, folks. In the Hebrew culture, once you were dead beyond three days, you were dead, stinking dead. They were at a moment of greatest, there was no hope. There was no hope for those folks who knew that Lazarus had been lying in there four days. It wasn't just the smell. It was the idea that Lazarus was never going to be back among the living. He was four days dead. So what the scripture wants us to hear tonight, I think more loudly than resurrection. I I believe at the week before we get to Palm Sunday, I believe what the scripture wants us to hear tonight in this is belief and forgiveness. That's the message I think these things, these readings have come to us with. We say it every week in the comfortable words, 1 Timothy 1.15. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. This is a trustworthy saying, to be believed by all men. To be believed. To believe. And that's what Jesus, as he looks into the, into the tearful eyes of his friends, is trying to get them to understand. Once again, one of the sisters declares, you are the Christ, you are the Messiah. But, but Jesus wants, wants them to say, okay, now what are you going to do with that? What are you going to do with this fact that you've confessed this in repentance? Because it's great that our salvation exists for today. But it's also even greater news at times that our salvation exists all the way into the future. And what Jesus wants those two women and everybody who's there watching and listening to understand is that he is Lord of life now and Lord of life later. There's three great pieces of good news in this story as it relates to present and future tense living. And the first is Jesus comes to us. Jesus went to Bethany. Jesus went to solve the problem of natural death, and he's going to solve the bigger problem of death in just a few more chapters. Jesus is going to solve the problem of mortality bigger and better in perfect way in just a few more chapters. But remember this idea that Jesus comes to us. Remember how God comes to the garden. 
or how Moses went to the people in Egypt or how um, David cried out in the Psalms today about the Lord coming to him uh, or about the dead in Ezekiel that we heard Walter read this morning. How God breathes through the Son of Man this breath, this Ruach. If you're at home, I love to get people to do that. Say it with me. Say Ruach. That's the Hebrew word for breath. Don't miss that. Don't miss that. And then to Lazarus, and best of all, to each of us that open the door of our hearts to Jesus. He comes to us. Secondly, when he comes, he arrives and he stays. This church is testimony to that. 300 years, Prince George and the, the The Spirit of God has dwelt in this place. I drove past the original uh, place that uh, the church was founded. I went down that road off of 701 uh, near a little town, t- something fairy. Anyway, I was out there and I got to see the sign and I know where it is. I could drive back there today. But for 300 years, the Spirit of God, and probably longer than that, has been here dwelling in this place. God comes and he arrives and he stays, just like Jesus is doing in the story. And just like Paul says in Romans today, that any of us who have died with Christ and been resurrected have that same Spirit of God living in us. He stays in us. And thirdly, he raises us to new life. He raises us to new life. For those that believe, for those that repent and believe, he raises us to new life. So let me give you an image that I want to close with. And I want to get into the story just a second to do that, or into the gospel just for a second to do that. It's, it's the image of the stone. It's the, toward the end of the gospel when um, Jesus, after catching his breath, and I imagine Jesus is weeping. He's fully man. Uh, I don't imagine. It's actually there in Scripture. He's fully man, and he's standing there deeply moved, Scripture says, as he comes to the tomb. Now imagine what's going through his mind. He's fully man and fully God. He knows everything. He knows, I imagine, that someday there's going to be a tomb waiting for him. And there's going to be a stone rolled in front of that same tomb. And the disciples that get to watch this event on the morning of his resurrection, on the thing that we're going to celebrate at Easter, are going to have that memory in their mind of, oh, remember the time that Lazarus. So hold all of that intention as Jesus shouts those words to the tomb, I imagine, take away the stone. Kind of like that show on television where they move that bus. You know, they've fixed up somebody's house, they've taken an old wreck, and they've converted it into something beautiful, and they just give it to the family. Imagine that. If, if Jesus, take away that stone, like move that bus, it would have a bigger, a bigger sense to it. But, but put that image in your head. Because I think that's a great image for any of us who've already died to sin in our lives. Any of us who've asked Jesus to save us. We can imagine the stone that was there, the thing, the sinful nature that we were clinging to, that that Jesus rolls out of our lives, that he pries from our hands, he pries from the sin grip that we all carry. And it would be the worst thing in the world uh, if, if he hadn't have done that. But he does, he comes, he arrives, and he raises So as we walk through this time of viral scare, as we walk through this time of uncertainty and hope, as we walk through this time of quarantine, and as we walk toward the holiest of weeks, let's all all pray as we close that the Lord would show us his power and his life for us now. For us now. Let's ask him together to make us present tense people. People who believe that he is now and forever that he is a present tense and future tense God.
And you know what? The funniest way to do that is, is to remember. The funniest way to believe that he's present tense and future tense God is for all of us to remember what he has done for us. 300 years is a long time, brothers and sisters. If we could get everybody back in this church who had been in this town for 300 years and had them tell the stories of floods, of building collapses, of armies that invaded, of disease, of all the things that happened, we'd be standing here at the end of everybody's testimony going, our God can do anything based on what we had heard people tell us about what he had done. So never forget the deliverance that he has procured. Remember finally the stone that he rolls away for Lazarus as we get closer to Easter. Remember the stone on Easter morning that he rolls away by the power of his resurrection. But never forget the stone of sin in all of our lives that he's rolled away for good. Amen. Okay.